episode 23 of the Online Chicken School podcast. Today, we're talking about things you can do to keep your backyard flock healthy. It's time for the Online Chicken School podcast. Whether you've been keeping chickens for years or you're just fixing to get started, we'll help you get your schooling. And now, here's the chicken tenders, Don and Susie. Hello, I'm Don, the big chicken tender. And I'm Susie, the little chicken tender. If you're interested in backyard chickens, you're in the right place. Doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of chickens out in the country or just a few somewhere in the city. This is where we share our knowledge, experience, and opinions to help you get the most out of your backyard flock. There's an old expression. It takes a big chicken tender to admit when he's wrong. And unfortunately today, I am that big chicken tender. <laughs> Last week, we talked about shipping baby chicks through the mail, and I made the statement that you can't ship adult chickens. Turns out, I was wrong. Oh my goodness, say it again. No, I'm not going to. Okay. You get one shot. <laughs> DC Chickens on one of the forums pointed out that you can indeed send adult chickens through the mail. Well, and that caused you to look up the post office regulations, which is regulation 526, which specifies what animals can be sent through the mail. And some other animals that can be actually mailed through the U.S. post office are bees, uh, live scorpions, Baby alligators. All I know is I'm glad when I was a young punk in flight school way back in the day. That's going back uh, 25 years ago. Oh, my. Now you're, just, just a, you're just an old punk now. I'm an old punk now. Yes. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't know any of these things because I was a real practical joker back in the day. And if I had known you could mail somebody a live scorpion or a baby alligator, I would probably be in prison. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to make the correction about my mistake that I made. I usually like to make your corrections of your mistakes first, but I decided to leave with mine. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you. I had made the statement that I get all my information uh, from TV shows about New York. And we were talking about Justin, who had found two chickens in New York City, and how I didn't think that that was possible to keep chickens because on Friends... And on uh, Seinfeld, where could they possibly keep a chicken? And then the other night, we're watching TV, and the Friends episode came on where Joey and Chandler had a chicken and a duck. So I stand corrected. But no one actually pointed that one out to me. Well, probably because Friends and Seinfeld, the little less known documentaries <laughs> about the reality of life in New York City. But uh, they are old timer documentaries. They, they've been out, you know, off the air for like a decade at least. So. Well, since we're on the topic, Justin emailed us back with a follow-up. He said that he has decided to keep seven of the baby chicks, and each one of them is a different breed or variety. First of all, I think that's one of the joys of keeping chickens is just the variety of all the different breeds. And if you're not going to, you know, try and hatch them out and you're not going to reproduce them, then there's no reason you can't have one of these, one of those, one of those over there. There's no yeah. reason you can't have that variety. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, it's neat just looking out your back window and seeing all the colors of the chickens running around. He says that they hatched August 27th, so they're almost four weeks old. And he says, I'm wondering, is there any way I can sex them? All I can see is one smaller than the other five. Uh-oh, we ran into that once. Okay, but here's the issue. Normally with heritage chickens, unless you are good at vent sexing, which not many people are, you pretty much have to go by telltale signs that will develop as they grow. 
Specifically, cockerels grow faster than pullets. So they'll get bigger over time. And their waddles tend to come in sooner. Right. And they tend to have a little thicker legs. And plus, you can kind of tell by the head shape as well. The, the males tend to have a little more masculine head. It's subtle. It's very subtle, but you can sort of tell after a while. You mean like a blockhead? Yeah, they're a little more blockheaded. Yes. And the females tend to be a little more feminine in their head shape. <laughs> Not as blockheaded. But the problem you might have is the fact that you have seven different breeds and it'll be a little hard to compare because they don't all grow at the same speed. You know, when you've got five or six or seven or eight that are the same breed, it's pretty easy to say, well, that one's a little bigger than the others. But if they're two different breeds, it's possible that that breed develops a little faster than the other one. So there's a couple more variables to take into account there. Not that you can't still make some good guesses. But you're going to have a challenge on your hand there. Well, I just hope he doesn't end up with uh, only one hen and five cockerels because that would be, that would really be sad because we actually had that experience. So Justin, if you do have that happen, we can so sympathize with you. So know somebody else out there got a majority of roosters. Chicken sandwiches all the way around. (laughs) One issue we brought up last week was that we were concerned that his chickens might have MG because he found two just wandering around the neighborhood. And MG is a very common disease. And we kind of went back and forth and I don't want to rehash that whole thing, but he just throws uh, a question our way about that. Uh, The disease you mentioned, MG, is it a hazard to my family and I? And the answer with that is no, it doesn't transmit to humans. And even if you were to eat the eggs and eat the meat, there's no harm for you. You can't catch MG. So no problem for you and the family. It's just a question of your birds and their health. And that's kind of a crapshoot. There's birds that have MG that'll never show symptoms a day in their life. They just carry it. And there are others that won't make it. Some will, will perish from MG and others will stop laying. It's, it really runs the gamut. But as far as you and your family are concerned, no worries. Here's another. I learned that the hard way. We had another very exciting night. We were sound asleep because we're old. It was midnight and we were sound asleep. And all of a sudden, the dogs, all three of them, started barking like intensely. Like you can tell when a dog, or at least our dogs, are just barking to be annoying or when they see something or something is bothering them. You can sort of tell what's bothering them based on the pitch and the speed at which they bark. And all three of them were going with their, I am extremely annoyed at something in the yard, bark. All right, so Don jumps up and runs towards where the noise is. I get up, I'm a little bit slower. I don't run towards danger. With the fight or flight thing, I am totally flight, and I am fine with that. Actually, in fight or flight, you're more, I'm going back to sleep. Well, yeah, there is that. It's like, well, you know, you can handle it. It's just some dogs barking. What's what's the worst that it could be? With Susie, it's fight, flight, or take a nap. Yeah, I like the nap part. But with this one, it was like, okay, there's definitely something wrong. You may need backup. But I got out of bed a little slower than you did. And I go walking towards the back door, which is where you were. There's one door in the back that all you have to do is unlock the door and open it and you're outside. So that's... That tends to be the door that I go out when there's a problem because it's easiest to get out and easiest to get back in. Unfortunately, this was also where most of the ruckus was coming from. 
And when I opened the door, and by the way, I had bare feet, no shoes on, and it's pitch black. I opened the door just a little bit, and as soon as I did, I felt something furry run across my feet, between my legs, and into the house. Well, and as I was rounding the corner, heading towards Don... Uh, I heard like a growl, weird cry thing, and it wasn't coming from him. All I heard from him was a yell, and he was yelling my name, and he said, Susie, go get some shoes on. (laughs) What went through my head was, I think I just let a raccoon in the house. I thought raccoon, and then I thought maybe possum, but I definitely was fixated on raccoon, because that would have been the nastiest of all options, and there I am with no shoes on in the pitch black house. Well, so I, of course, immediately turn around, run back in the bedroom, and I don't know, you know, I don't wake up quickly, so I must have been still a little drowsy, because I grabbed the first pair of shoes I saw, and I come running out, and by that time, Don had come out of the hallway, he's like, what do you have on your feet? And I had those little short boots that you wear, like with jeans or something. That's what I had grabbed and put those on. It looked ridiculous. I sounded like I was tap dancing across the floor. Those are some kicky boots you got on there, but that's not really the kind you need for raccoons. I didn't want to have to lace up tennis shoes or something. This was an urgent situation. So anyway, not to drag this story out too long, but we shut some doors to make sure whatever it was didn't get into other parts of the house. And Susie saw a tail sticking out from behind a pillow in a corner. And we actually brought the dogs inside and thought they could probably help us rustle this thing out of the house. The whole time I'm still thinking raccoon and I pull the pillow away and it turns out it's just a stray cat. Another cat. What is it with this attraction that cats have to our property? I don't care. I was just thankful it wasn't a raccoon. (laughs) So anyway, we managed to shoo it out of the house and across the yard and into the neighbor's yard and everything turned out okay, but it was not, uh, not fun times in the country. So the moral of the story is don't open the door closest to where all the ruckus is coming from. Maybe open the second closest door. And when you jump out of bed, put on some shoes. That's your public service announcement for the week. All right, for the main feature today, we're talking about things you can do to keep your backyard flock healthy. If you have a flock for very long, you are going to get sick chickens. Uh, You'll have chickens that get injuries. It's just going to happen. It's part of having a flock. Well, it's part of having any animals. I think, you know, even dogs. The other day, Sadie had an ear infection. So, I mean, there's just things that happen with animals. And you're going to have to be prepared to take care of it because, unfortunately, with chickens, not a lot of vets are hip to chickens. Oh, my gosh. When we tried to find a chicken vet, you would call, like, veterinary hospitals and places like that, and you would just hear silence on the other end of the line when you say, Hi, uh, do you treat chickens? And you just have this like, uh, what was that? (laughs) And we are out in the country here. It's not like we're going to city vets and, you know, but they're like, uh, no. (laughs) And the other reaction I really didn't care for was when you'd ask, do you treat chickens? And they'd say, uh, sure. Yeah. Real little vote of confidence there. Yeah. Uh, never mind. (laughs) I'll move on to the next one on the list. Right. And we did eventually find one. But even if you find a vet that'll treat chickens, um, it's a little pricey. Yeah. So you would definitely be wise to learn a few first aid tricks for chickens. You'd be wise to learn some of the medications for chickens. Because the more things you can take care of yourself, uh, the better off you and your flock are going to be. 
And besides just responding to illnesses and injuries, there are some things you can do on the preventative side as well to keep them healthy so they don't get sick in the first place. Okay, so the very first thing on our list is you should really develop and keep a chicken first aid kit. Well, because when is a chicken going to get sick? Just like a child, probably over the weekend when everybody's closed. If you don't have anything at your house, you may be in trouble. Well, and especially with injuries, because a lot of illnesses can probably wait till the next day. Injuries, however, sometimes you really have to take care of them when you discover them. If you wait too long, it could be too late. Right, absolutely. So by collecting a few items together and having them ready ahead of time and knowing where they are, you can respond in a timely manner. Well, and one thing I would say is make sure you keep these supplies for your chickens separate from your own stock of items because some are interchangeable with things we use for ourselves. So you don't want to be running to your first aid kit or to a medicine cabinet when there's an emergency. You want to have all your chicken first aid items in one place that you can grab it in an emergency. Plus, if you had your own emergency, you don't want to go in for, I don't know, the Neosporin or something and have to do this triple guess of, did I use this on the chickens last or did I use it on me last? Now I'm not so sure and I'm not so sure I want to use it. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Now, a well-stocked first aid kit can contain many, many, many items, probably 40 or 50. And... Starting with 40 or 50 is a little bit of a daunting task because a chicken first aid kit is not like a human first aid kit. You can always run down to Walmart or wherever and find a first aid kit that has 160 items in it. Although I think they count every one of those tiny little bandages as one item. So I think so. Every cotton ball Q-tip. It's always a little disappointing when you find out what's really in there. But you buy it all in one shot and they're pretty cheap and you're done. A chicken first aid kit, I don't know that anybody has a prepackaged one, so you're going to have to put it together yourself, and it's going to contain some items. Some of them are cheap, some of them are not so cheap, and if you were to try and get them all at one time, you're probably going to have sticker shock. We're going to just kind of give you some of the basic items that you need to have in your kit, and then as future episodes come along, we will throw in a couple more, maybe uh, every once in a while. This episode was going to be solely about putting together a first aid kit for your chickens. That was the whole topic I was going to do today. Yeah, and then I read it and I went, oh my God, Snorefest. People will hate it. Yeah, me reading 40 items to you is not very exciting for podcasts. But people have said you have a very soothing voice. So maybe it would be one of those like nighttime ones where you could put people to sleep with it. Cotton balls, tweezers, <laughs> antiseptic wipes. I saved you, everyone. Aren't you glad? Saved your life. All right. So let's start off with some basic items for your kit. Okay. The first category you're going to want to get is a few protection items like latex gloves, eyewear, and a little mask. And these things are going to do two things. One, it protects the chicken from you infecting an open wound. And uh, it's also going to protect you from things like squirting in your face or uh, that mask comes in handy so nothing gets squirted in your mouth. Because I, I can imagine what you're thinking right off the bat. I'm working on a chicken. I'm not going to put safety goggles on. I'm not going to put a mask on. I'm not going to look like Doogie Hauser <laughs> just to work on a chicken. I'll look totally ridiculous. I'm right there with you. But the first time some mystery fluid squirts into your mouth, <gasps> you're going to be, you're going to wish you had a mask on. 
And if you have a spouse like me, you'll be standing right next to him going, see, now that's why I said to put on a mask. (laughs) Always supportive. So really the mask is for marital bliss. Absolutely. Um, There's also a few simple instruments that you may want to put in your first aid kit, like dog nail clippers. Um, if you trim your chicken's beaks or their nails or their uh, the rooster's spur, you can use just a pair of dog clippers. And you're going to need that anyway. You're going to have to do those as kind of routine maintenance. So it's nice to have it in the kit with the other stuff um, because sometimes if you do it wrong, you're going to have a bloody situation on your hand. You're going to need the first aid kit. So it's kind of nice to keep that stuff all together. Absolutely. You'll also need tweezers for removing like splinters or, you know, when they're on the ground a lot, there's all kinds of things that could get stuck in their scales on their legs or in their feet or even out their feathers. So a pair of tweezers comes in real handy. Another thing you're going to need is scissors for cutting things like bandages or clipping off leg bands. Oh yeah, we got a couple of those. If you leave the leg band on a little too long, uh, yeah, then you're going to want to get that off. Yeah, not a good thing. We actually banded some chicken's legs because we were putting in one age group chicken with another and they were young, but we wanted to kind of be able to tell them apart and it did. It wasn't bad, but when we I- We waited a little too long. We did wait a little too long to clip those leg snug. bands. It was getting snug. Yeah, it was, it was a little snug and then you're trying to put the scissors underneath there and thankfully we had a nice thin pair- um, they were really sharp and snipped them right off and no problems. Yeah. When you can barely get the scissors under there to clip them off, you waited just a hair too long. Yeah. Uh, another thing, you need some kind of blood stopping powder. Another thing to keep on hand is blue coat. That's a pretty handy thing to have. It's a sort of combination antiseptic and wound sealant. Seal up an open wound. And uh, the benefit of blue coat is that it sort of paints the wound blue or purplish. And that way it keeps other chickens from picking at the red spot. Yes, which is a very good thing. Now, the only bad thing about that is the other day, uh, we keep our chicken first aid kit in the same cabinet as our dog food and other foods for our animals. It's the animal care cabinet. Yes. And something happened to our blue coat bottle. I don't know if it got too hot or what happened. It exploded. And with that nice purple, uh, I think it was a purple color that we had, it looked like someone had robbed a bank and like hid out in that cabinet. There was purple everywhere. Everything is covered in purple, runny, nasty dye. And of course, the first thing I do, I want to start cleaning it up. So I don't put on gloves. No, I just grab the stuff and start washing it in our utility sink. So of course, my hands are dyed purple. At work the next day, it was awful. They, they kept making fun of me. And our whole utility sink is now dyed purple. So be careful with the stuff. Definitely have those gloves when you're using it. Anyway, another thing on the list, chlorhexidine is really good for cleaning wounds. You can use hydrogen peroxide diluted to 50%. You just mix it equal parts, hydrogen peroxide and water. Some people say that will kill both dead tissue and good tissue, and you don't want that. Uh, so if you are going to use hydrogen peroxide, maybe you use it for the initial cleaning and then go get some chlorhexidine if you didn't put it in your first aid kit. And then use that for every cleaning after that. Because supposedly chlorhexidine will only deal with dead tissue and leave the healthy tissue alone, which will let it heal faster. That's good. Well, once you clean out that wound, you're going to add a triple antibiotic ointment. Doesn't have to be anything fancy, just the kind you use for people. Um, But you don't want to use one that has a pain reliever. So when you're looking at that ingredient list, make sure it doesn't have anything that ends in cane, spelled C-A-N-E, or cane, C-A-I-N-E, like a 
lidocaine. Cocaine? No. Definitely not cocaine because, boy, your chickens would act really funny. Candy cane? No. Pain cane? <laughs> no cane. Now, some people say you can do a pain-relieving formula as long as it doesn't have the canes. I say, for us anyway, we just play it safe. We avoid all the ones that say pain relief formula. Any of the triple antibiotics that have a pain reliever at all, we just avoid those personally. Yeah, I mean, why take a chance? And there's more things that you can add to your uh, first aid kit for your chicken. But, you know, again, we're not going to go through a whole huge list. So this should get you off to a good start. And we'll come back periodically and suggest some more items to add to your list. But if you start with these, you'll be ready for, you know, some of the more serious things. Absolutely. All right. So the second thing that'll help keep your flock healthy is making sure that they have clean food and water at all times. So you're going to want to check the feed often, make sure it doesn't have mold in it because that does happen quite often, especially in a humid environment like Florida. Um, things have a tendency to mold pretty quickly and you don't want it getting moist. That'll sneak up on you pretty quick. You can go from nothing to a lot of fuzz. Yeah, I mean, we moved the chicken tractors the other day and holy cow, underneath this one feeder. Now, it hadn't gotten in the food, but under the feeder, um, you know, the feed had kind of spilled out a little bit as they were eating rambunctiously and there was already the fuzz, fuzz cloud almost uh, when we moved that, that tractor. And then as far as the water is concerned, you want to check that often and make sure you don't have algae growing in there. Depending on how your water system is set up, make sure you don't have mold growing in some wet parts. A few of our chicken tractors, they have a five-gallon bucket on the inside for a waterer. And then there's a tube that goes from the five-gallon bucket to the outside just to make it easier to fill. And this weekend, we were doing some routine maintenance on four of our chicken tractors. And I think two of the ones that we were doing had mm -hmm. some mold starting to develop inside that tube. And you would never notice it unless you get in there and inspect it because... You know, he has the nice shutters on there. So it's not like you've got a clear vision of the tube. Um, so you got to kind of stick your head up in that coop once in a while and, and inspect everything. We were first getting chickens and we were trying to find the breeds we wanted around here. We went to a place where I'll tell you right off the bat, we did not get chickens from this guy. I mean, he had like one of those small auto repair shop things, but it looks like it was kind of in this dilapidated, rusty building, and he had him off the side with no grass. And and we already didn't have a good feeling, but then we saw the water. That was really gross. Oh my God, it was like a fluorescent green. And they're just drinking out of it as happy as can be, because, you know, and that's- it wasn't the, Gatorade. No, and it's the only water they had, so they're gonna drink it. Yeah, it was really, really nasty and you know some people say oh well you know they can handle it and whatever and you know a lot of people do let the water in the waterers get really gross and disgusting i'm not saying they're gonna die but you know what the more of these things that you don't follow the more chances there are for your chickens to get sick and you wouldn't drink that water right well it's gonna definitely affect your I hope not <laughs> well it's definitely gonna affect your immune system even as a person you know you want your chickens if they catch something to be able to fight something off naturally um before you even notice that's always the best option so another thing that you're going to want to do to make sure your birds stay healthy is to check them for parasites and you know i mean this not only affects their general health, but their egg laying will slow down. They'll get lethargic because something's sucking all the blood out of them. 
And there are both internal and external parasites. The external ones are your mice, your lice, and ah, fleas. you did it again. You said mice. I always do that. <laughs> mites, lice, and fleas. I always combine mites and lice into mice. <laughs> mites, lice, and fleas. Those are your external parasites. You want to make sure you check for these little critters once a month. Every chicken. Because you can have several chickens in a coop and only one of them is affected. We've seen that a couple times where Mm -hmm. you'll check four chickens. They all live together. They all play together. They all stay together. Yet only one of them has a mite problem. Well, and last weekend we were checking the chickens and I was so hot and tired. I just wanted to get through the chicken chores. So we were going to each coop, checking them all for bugs and... I went to George's coop, my little bard rock, with his two ladies, and grabbed the first lady, looked at her, nothing. Second lady, nothing. I'm like, all right, let's go to the next one. And Don was like, no, you got to check every chicken. And sure enough, he grabbed George and took a look at him, and he had, he wasn't infested. He didn't even have, you know, a ton of mites, but he definitely had some crawling. I hope there's no Secret Service people listening to this podcast. (laughs) Why? Because you just said you grabbed the first lady. Oh, no. That would be very bad. You have to check regularly because the earlier you catch it, the easier it'll be to get rid of. So most of these little buggers like the skin around your chicken's vent the best. There's just a lot of little blood vessels there for them to snack on. So if you flip your hen over gently, part the feathers around the vent, and just watch. Don't be in a hurry to just... Quick part, look at the skin, and then let go. Make sure you watch for a little bit and see if you observe anything running around in there. Okay, now as far as internal parasites, this is a little more interesting to check for. You're still going to need to do it once a month because, again, the faster you find these things, the easier they're going to be to knock out. Well, and guess where you find this stuff? You find it in chicken poo. Yeah, when you go around to the chicken coops, take a little stick with you (laughs) and collect some of that poo. And kind of break it open, smush it around a little bit. And if your chickens have worms, they'll be pooping worms out. So you will find worms in the poo. Yeah, it may give a little tug on that stick you're using. Yeah. Then they've really got a problem. Yeah, if you go poking in the poo with the stick and something takes the stick out of your hands, (laughs) you've got a problem. So you're going to want to immediately get them on some kind of wormer. And make sure you follow the instructions on the wormer. I mean, we've used Wazine in the past. Um, We used to do it regularly, just on a schedule. We would give them wormer. But then we're like, you know what? We don't want to give them unnecessary medicine if we don't have to. So now we check all the time. And I can't tell you the last time we gave them a wormer. Yeah, we haven't had to, thankfully. Yeah, I mean, we've been very fortunate. So, you know, you got to do what you feel you know, is right for your chickens, but um, definitely checking that poo once a month will let you know if you have worms. And the last thing about wormer, if you are using it, make sure you pay a special attention to the instructions in regards to the withdrawal period. Almost every wormer you can use, you do not want to eat the eggs while the chicken is on the wormer. And that's going to linger in their system. So you want to make sure you follow that withdrawal period, take the eggs and chuck them away, 
Just get rid of those eggs. It's the hardest thing to do. And don't get rid of the eggs like Donna's had some ideas, you know, where people go speeding by our house all the time. It's like, ooh, I've got those eggs with the wormer in it. No, no, no. Resist. With eggs come responsibility, my friends. (laughs) Speaking of poo. (laughs) The next thing we're going to talk about is keeping your coop clean. And this is never my favorite task. I mean, I don't know anybody that enjoys cleaning their coop. So when you buy or you build this coop, it's nice, freshly painted, beautiful, pretty. You want to know what it's going to look like in about a month? In a month, it's still pretty, but it's pretty disgusting. It's pretty covered in poo. You'll have shavings to catch the poo, but you'll look in parts of the coop and wonder, how did they get poo there? I know, yeah. How'd you get poo on the ceiling? I mean, you have to be an acrobatic chicken. I know, And I'll guarantee you, I don't care how big your chicken coop is, whether you have a chicken tractor, I don't care how it's built, how it's designed, take the place where you tend to bump your head a lot, that's where chicken poo will be. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But there is a way to keep your chicken coop clean, like, all the time. Guaranteed way. Absolute. No fail. Just don't put chickens in it. Yes. See? There you go. It will stay clean. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't like to clean things, just don't put chickens in it. So how often do you need to clean your coop? I mean, this is going to be different for everyone. Uh, It's kind of like as often as it needs it. If your coop design uses shavings, you don't want to get to the point where you can smell ammonia from eight feet away. Don't wait that long. Yeah, like when uh, you poke your head in to grab the eggs and you pass out and then like all of a sudden you wake up and there's chickens all over your head. Probably time to change your litter. Yeah, the ammonia smell not great for chickens. Chickens are prone to respiratory diseases really easy, so that's not good for them. Now, that doesn't always mean taking the shavings out and putting new shavings in. There is a process called the deep litter method. We won't go into detail about that now, Uh, but you might just follow the deep litter method where you don't have to take the old shavings out. You just add new shavings in and give them a stir around and stuff like that, but whatever your method is, you have to freshen them up once in a while. You can't just leave them in there where They turn into a wet brick. Right. And then, you know, not only is that going to affect their respiration and how, you know, the clean air that they're breathing, but, you know, that's a breeding ground for bugs and your mites are going to thrive in that environment. Um, So great way to keep your chickens healthy, clean their coop. And when you see poo start accumulating, like we just mentioned, on all those surfaces that don't involve shavings, scrape it off doesn't have to be that minute, but don't let it just turn into poo-covered walls. Get out there every once in a while and give it a good scraping off. Well, and I'll tell you, before you do that, you want to grab some things from your first aid kit, like your eye protection and, again, your mask, because you do not want to be breathing in the shavings dust, the chicken dust, and any other ugh, that's in that coop. And don't reuse masks, because one of these times you'll forget which side goes out. And then you'll be sucking it all in. But I'll tell you, you, I I was one time was in there cleaning that one coop before we switched it from a a shaving system to just the open floor. And I was scraping at this one dried pile and it came loose and shot right at my face. So yeah, mask, eye protection, great for this situation as well. Now you also want to do a deep clean, I would say at least once a year. Although it's not a bad idea to do it twice a year. Especially if you live up north, because the colder your winters get, the more likely your chickens are going to be stuck inside, uh, as we say, cooped up (laughs) in the coop all winter. And so 
it'd be a good idea to kind of clean that thing out and get it nice and sanitized before they're going to spend months locked away in there. Right. And then uh, in the spring, when it they can finally get outdoors, spend some more time outdoors, it is going to be pretty nasty in there. So do another really deep clean. And it's not too bad because you're doing it during the coolest parts of the year. It's not like you're doing it in the middle of summer. So if you can plan um, once in the fall, once it's spring, you'll be all set. Okay, the last thing we're going to talk about today, a way you can keep your chickens healthy, is to limit their exposure to disease-carrying animals. And there's a couple categories here. You got your things like rats and mice. Right, now they are going to be attracted to the food. So if you store your food outside or you store it in a little bin next to your chicken coop and you don't have a lid on it, they're going to come after that. But also they'll come after the spilled feed that the chickens just spill on the ground. Yeah, so you want to keep that stuff cleaned up. Absolutely. Another um, category of disease-carrying animals is other birds. That's right. Wild birds carry a lot of diseases that your chickens can get and you'd prefer for them not to. So how do you keep them away from your chickens? Well, one thing you can do is make sure that you have a covered run, not just four walls, but an actual cover over the top, and that'll prevent other birds from getting inside your chicken area. And one thing I like to avoid is if you have a chicken tractor, don't park it under trees. Right. Because trees are where a lot of the wild birds like to sit. So even though you can't control, they're flying around the yard, they're sitting in your yard, but you're going to have a lot of bird activity around your trees. If you can keep the chicken tractors out from under the trees, it'll accumulate less wild bird poo. Right. And that's another great thing about the covered run. You know, birds fly over, they drop it just like they do on your car. If they got the covered run, at least it'll hit that and not go right into their run area. And then they walk in it and then they get the disease. Um, The other thing that can spread disease to your chickens, other chickens. That's a big one. Uh, We talked about last week and earlier in this episode about MG, and it's so easy to transmit from one flock to another. But there are ways um, to protect your chickens from other chickens, like just simple biosecurity measures that you have in place. For one thing, the biggest thing, don't go visit other chicken farms. And by chicken farms, I mean anybody else who has chickens. (laughs) That's right. If your aunt has chickens in her yard, when you go visit your aunt, don't go crawling through her chicken coop. Yeah. I mean, although they're adorable, don't be picking up her chickens and, you know, rubbing the chickens all over you unless you're prepared to leave your clothes there (laughs) or uh, strip down before you go into your house and wash those. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Wash those clothes immediately. Uh, Wash the shoes, your socks, go in, wash yourself head to toe. Then you can go out by your chickens. But you really, I mean, that stuff can get on the, your hair fibers I mean, you can transmit it as easy as going from somebody else's flock to coming by just collecting the eggs, and they could get it. The little MG critters, they can live in your nose for two or three days. Oh, that's gross. Yeah, it's a pleasant thought. Sweet dreams, everybody. So if you get in that chicken coop uh, when you get home from somebody else's flock and you let out a sneeze from all the uh, dust in there, you could be shooting MG critters all over your coop. Now, you also don't want that same ant that has chickens coming over to your place and playing with your chickens. Yeah, so keep the ants out of your chicken house. (laughs) And the uncles, too. Yeah, I mean, if somebody has chickens, as nice as they are, and, you know, I like chickens. It's very tempting to want to pick up other people's chickens, let them handle yours, let them walk through your coop and see your different designs. Even when we have our class, um, 
we make sure we tell everyone before they come, here's our biosecurity list, you know, about shoes and changing your clothes. Make sure you've showered if you have chickens before you come. And then they don't go in our coops um, at all because we just don't want to take a chance. All right. And, you know, we brought up a couple topics there that are a little more complicated, like the MG and biosecurity. And, you know, over the next several weeks, I think we're going to take a look at those in more depth because they're just things you ought to know about as chicken keepers and... They really deserve some time to go into them so you can understand them better. We went over them really fast and it just gave you the 30,000 foot view. We need to get in more detail with those. All right. Well, as always, thank you for listening to the show. If you like us, consider going over to iTunes and giving us a really nice rating or review over there. Believe it or not, it really does help. The, the more ratings we get and the more reviews we get, the easier it will be for other people to find us in iTunes. And that's a good thing. Yes, it helps us stay encouraged. We actually just got our first listener from Germany this week. So that was cool. Yeah, that's the uh, that now makes 31 countries that people listen to our show in. Yes. Which is just insane. A little weird. Uh, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can go to onlinechickenschool.com slash the number 23. That's it for today. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Online Chicken School podcast. Look for us on the web at onlinechickenschool.com.